Hi, I'm Dan Cottrell, editor of Rugby Coach Weekly. You're about to jump into one of our podcasts. If you want to find out more about this podcast and also all of the great content, drills, activities, games and advice on the website, then go over to www.rugbycoachweekly.net. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. On the podcast, I am delighted to uh, welcome award winners and hopefully soon to be award winners, uh, Dan Lysett and Ross Williams. Uh, they are at St. David's College in Londono, which is in North Wales, and they're going to tell us a little bit about themselves in a short moment, but I'm very keen to catch up with them because of the innovations that they've introduced to the PE curriculum and to rugby at the school and how they have worked that through for themselves and um, how others have reacted to that. So first of all, welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hi, hi Dan, how are you doing? Yes, I'm good and welcome along as well, Ross. Yeah, thanks Dan, glad to be here. Good, so um, you probably sit in an office next to each other all the time, but now you're in separate rooms so you can say what you like, I expect. So Dan, can you just give us a quick um, introduction to your background and uh, then we'll jump over to Ross. Yeah, um, I'm a secondary school teacher, been teaching about 20 years, I did about 11 years in the state system. And I've now moved over to a small independent school. Um, also coached a little bit of rugby as well. I've assisted with age grade under 16s level with uh, RGC. Um, and also done a little bit of coaching abroad as well. Yeah, and I'm uh, Ross. My background is slightly different in that I started off as a strength and conditioning coach. Did my undergrad in strength and conditioning. Um, and then got straight into coaching really as soon as I started that degree in uh, in various rugby academies working with youth athletes um, but always sort of ha- had a strong feeling there was a, a need for S&C in a PE curriculum um, and then through meeting Dan at RGC got that opportunity to go and explore that and it's grown massively since then so I no longer um, call myself an S&C coach I've sort of done a a, a really unique apprenticeship at St. David's of our own creation. And now I'm operating as a, a coach and hybrid and anything that we need to keep pushing the programme forward, really. Well, great. Both, great to have both of you on. Just for people who uh, don't know, RGC is the North Wales regional team. Um, I expect it stands for some Welsh words that I can't pronounce. So uh, I won't even uh, start on that. So um I'm going to start with Dan, but just very quickly before we start, just um, tell us a little bit about the sorts of players and children that you're coaching at the moment. What, what sort of age groups and what's their general skill sets? Um, well, I suppose that's kind of really the crux of, of where we kind of started, really, was the perception that there was a triangle and at the top were these kind of elite players that we, we could accrue and entice into the school and then in reality realizing I had a school full of individuals I could turn into fantastic athletes and then from there uh, rabbit hole after rabbit hole looking at uh, movement skills and uh, you know ecological approaches to to coaching and education and and now into a point where um, I suppose the aim is to create self-determined kids. So make sure the environment is pretty cool, uh, engaging, that we front load it so we're, we're really well organised, lots and lots of reflection. And then from, from that, the, the kids engage to such a level where um, you'd be amazed at what, they, what comes out the other end. So, you know, we, we've had uh, UK kickboxers uh, turned into loose head props. Uh, North Wales sprint champions turned into tight heads. Um, the 12th fastest fell runner in the world as a fullback. Um, we've had kids who've, who've never 
picked up tennis rackets or run cross country, uh, eventually kind of segueing down to, to Cardiff or Brecon to compete for, for North Wales. So I think the aim is to, to, we call it the continuous curriculum. So the opportunities are the same for every child. If Dan Cottrell wants to come along to lunchtime sessions, Dan Cottrell can rock up to lunchtime sessions. It's it's self-determined. So from that, we, we, we do pretty well in terms of what would be the, the top-end c- competitive. But at the same time, we manage to have a massive uh, engagement swell. I'm really interested in that. Uh, I mean, you've, you've thrown out um, a lot of things already before I've even started on the questions I wanted to ask. So um, you, you start off with saying fantastic athletes. Um, that is a very positive, upbeat way to talk about the children. What does that look like for you? Um, let's, I'll throw that one over to Ross. I think when we talk about that, we're talking about the athletic potential um, that every student has at St. David's College. Well, and that's not their potential to be elite. That's their potential to improve, which absolutely everybody brings to a school environment. Um, and, and what's unique is that we, for us, those improvements made to whatever degree is how we um, evaluate our success as a programme. So whether that's uh, the child who... Um, was disengaged in a tennis lesson, as I saw recently, but then uh, with some with some questioning from us and some guidance, picked up a racket and started bouncing a ball up and down uh, and got some value and some meaning from that, whether it's at the top end of our students who we've pushed on to regional programmes in rugby. Um, the success is the same and they are becoming uh, and accessing and exploring that athletic potential that they all have. So it's the potential to be better athletes uh, that we really sort of emphasise when we're saying that. So, and one of the things that uh, I'm pretty sure that you are keen to emphasise is that you're not churning out elite athletes. You're You're churning, maybe the wrong word as well. You're helping these pupils enjoy sport in a way that they may not have been able to before? Yeah, so um, meaning is massive because when Dan says self-determination, we talk about um, relatedness to the content. So that's where the meaning comes in. Uh, Autonomy, which is what we need to support as they explore everything that's on offer at the college. And then their competence. And that's our role as practitioners to, um, to help develop that. And, and guide that competence. Um, so it's all about meaning, really. And it's our job to make sure the provision is rich enough so that there are opportunities for them to find out what, what is meaningful to me. How do I uh, get those joyful experiences from being uh, physically active? Right. So I'm interested that, first of all, I want to explore the word self-determined. Now, what did, I mean, it is a word which is often bandied around. Um, and people think that they would like their athletes to be self-determined. What shows you that something is self-determined? Dan, you're you're giggling, if that is a giggle, when um, you say that. I think I think it's, when we so like twenty years in teaching, you start you start to um, I think you either put up or shut up with teaching, and I think. I got to a point where within the system I was in before, I, there was very little room for creativity with the curriculum. So that's you know nearly seven, eight years ago. And I think that there's, there's a lot of um, movement to change that. I've never been one very, very well to sit and accept the status quo. Um, so sort of spent the time when I came to David researching and obviously through lockdown, lots of opportunity to read and research and, and reach out. So uh, for me, we have such a wide variety of students and I always have done, but as a PE teacher, probably this perception is focused that I'm either there to solve the NHS's woes for an obesity epidemic, uh, create club athletes or find the next Gareth Bale. Whereas in reality, what I want to do, what, what I should be trying to do is create 
meaning and then the child can attach the meaning to that whether that and I use the analogy a bit like putting a, a two pen penny pieces down the slot machine and they bounce all over the place you know Ross may uh, end up as a um, trying to pursue a football career and end up playing sort of mid-level football. One child might think, you know, I, I, I find meaning in being physically active. And because they've had a wide breadth of experience, they they, they segue to uh, walking or, or rambling or, 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 or weight training. We need to create that. So how do we do that? We, you go to the traditional approaches of motivation of intrinsic and extrinsic. But self-determination kind of falls within a concept of, of intrinsic motivation. They have to enjoy the element enough for them to want to participate. And once that happens, we've had discussions about this before, they can then become self-regulated. And that means that you can step back and they can then um, uh, pursue those activities themselves. So if Ross has a morning session with some kids, an intervention group. And we can literally set them up in the in the SNC suite. There's a viewing platform, and they are self-regulated. They turn up on time. They know what to do. Um, and Ross will give you a, a pretty cool anecdote. Bearing in mind, these are, you know, a few behavioural issues, but um, there's six of them, and and they're in year nine, so uh, you know, thirteen years old. And f- for this anecdote, cool story, we like that. Um, shows that self-determination and then that self-regulation and what comes after that that's the cool stuff you know if these guys can do that at 13 and it's for us to keep that balloon up there then to keep that that, that rich environment but that's awesome to give you the story yes and I'll just add that it's a self-determination is a behavior it's a set of behaviors which we can observe to see whether it's being achieved or not um and that leads sort of into the way in which we level in PE, which is slightly different at the college, which we might get into. Um, but just to tell that story for Dan, you know, coming to the end of the term, we had this intervention group in the gym. We decided we really needed to step back and get out the way as practitioners to see what had emerged, what type of behaviours. And um, these boys, these 13-year-old boys, had took themselves to the back of the room. They'd all stood um, with their backs facing uh, the wall and they decided to take a step forward based on how much progress they made one to ten and and they'd done that without any adult intervention at all um, we'd showed that we'd used that before in lessons we we all often show and lead out and then leave things to be taken on or, or not taken on and and to see that emerge was you know perfect example of that self-determination that we strive for in our curriculum really so there's a couple of things, again, I mean, we're obviously going to, we're never going to get to my questions ever, I expect. So I'm going to keep um, asking, you talk about rich environment. So um, we can all imagine um, regular PE lessons or regular sports uh, activities where there's there's a pitch, there's balls, there's coaches. Um, what makes that environment rich for you? So we'll, we'll shoot over to Dan first. Well, we we have we're really lucky. We have three lessons a week, and we um, we stole a concept from a few people we've spoken to. So, first of all, is um, we have a rotation lesson. So they they either swim, play a racket sport, or do functional movement, which is was the first thing that came to my head about four or five years ago. And we we wanted to make students better movers. So the functional movement stuff that's done by Ross or foundational movement stuff is um, is tiered all the way from year five all the way through. We're seeing now kids in year eight and nine who've had access for the last three, four years that come out the other end. We then have what we call the donor lesson, and that's donor sports. So anything that will donate skills to our focus activities. So we play Gaelic football, Aussie rules, uh crazy quidditch anything where the skill sets will come out we also have things that are gamified so games like that, that are based on call of duty for, for the kids who maybe only will find that version of invasion games sort of meaningful and then we have our focus lessons which are more codified games so rugby football 
tennis, cricket, etc. So the idea for us is to create environments or sessions um, that are pretty much self-led. So we can give the, the, the concept in the area and then we'll use constraints to nudge them along. A bit like a balloon, uh, you hit it in the air and as you start to see the balloon go towards the floor, the kids may go off task, you can change the constraint to try and give them a, a different direction to keep that balloon in the air. And um, in reality, you know, there's other things in there. We've done lots of stuff on the sidelines, uh, roulette wheels for them to create their own, um, uh, their own, um, select their own constraints. We use bingo quite a lot. So have some areas that we'd like them to focus on particularly work well, very well with the girls because they're aware of what they're going to be kind of looking at in that session. And then when the questions come in, they're based on what's on the, on the bingo sheet. Um, and that allows them to go off and sign when they've completed those tasks. We use levels in order to, to scaffold things. So students aren't completely separated by skill. They're just differentiated by the levels. So the aim is to create really rich, fast-moving, fast-paced, but self-led, really, a lot of the time, um, sessions. And, you know, considering being through a pandemic, you know, it's, it's, it's worked pretty well, and it's worked really well when we've come back as well uh, in, in, in the summer sports, which we'll admit we're, we're a bit of a, um, a tester, to be honest, athletics and cricket. But the environment is important, and it probably not as led or teacher led as 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 I would have done 10 years ago 100%. So I, I'm thinking that these you can't sort of go day one we're going to uh you're going to be self-determined self-regulating there has to be some information needs to come across. So how does that how do you start this process because people are going to be listening in and are going to be saying this sounds fantastic uh but I know if I went out with my team tomorrow and started to do this, it would just uh, turn to dust. So there, there has to be some starting points or can you go straight there? Ross? Um, well, I think you can. I just think that's the this, this skill in us as practitioners to, to design the, the environment appropriately. So um, part of being self-determined is, the, is respecting the choices of the students to disengage um, obviously that's not our aim for session one but it's then for us to get around that student and guide their attention to something that's meaningful for them um, but in allowing them to be self-regulated from day one we tend to start with the game rather than start with a deconstructed version of a skill um, and then what that'll do is it'll look quite chaotic but it will give us so much so many teachable moments and opportunities to ask questions so we're not talking uh, we've recently done a study with john moore's looking at uh, an approach to a different approach to cricket so we're not talking about everybody pad up get the whites on and the and the red ball out it's um a small street game of cricket with some different constraints in that would allow everybody to have a level of success um and then we can jump in and question from there. They don't know wh- where they're going or what skills that require yet, and, and neither do we completely. But it's about setting up that first session so that everybody can have some success and some moments where they're not successful, which will help guide the questioning. And then, like Dan says, we'll scaffold that reflection for them. So bingo cards, go and initial the different behaviours that you had most success with where were your super strengths where would you like to explore further um but it's about embracing the chaos really and not expecting it to look perfect um because we have to attach meaning to something that they can be self-regulated in and if that's an isolated skill with no removed of context then that um becomes quite hard i i, I may have left some holes there which stands <laughs> Can I can I can I ask can I just jump in and ask a question about uh, using the bingo? So um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. So you you're playing the game um, and on on the bingo card there may be sort of nine things that they may be trying to achieve, but the game itself means that uh, there's still two left, and they're having to almost 
changed the way they would do things in order to get those in. So let us say in order they would want to say kick to score, but kick to score is completely the inappropriate skill that they need to use as it's going along. And I don't want to get too deeply into what uh, the ecological approach is or uh, that, that, that sort of thing. I, 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 I understand, the, understand that the bingo offers that opportunity for them to tick it off. Are there then, you, are you sort of flexible over that, saying it doesn't matter if you don't hit them all? Yeah, it's, um, we talk about purposeful pauses. So there's going to be chance, uh, opportunities in the session where it slows down and we can guide their attention towards that bingo. But it's such a dynamic process that if those opportunities to do that behaviour you mentioned Dan kick to score haven't presented themselves well that's a great teachable moment you know we use something called motivational interviewing so we'll use lots of open questions well um you haven't ticked that off Dan um has there been that opportunity yet how would our behavior change if we just try to do that now what else might uh become not become an option so it's it's never a negative thing it's a dynamic thing and it's it's human behavior so we're constantly trying to create opportunities for questions and opportunities to see behaviours and then use that to make to guide where we go from there. Uh, it's about knowing as we go, really, rather than trying to preload and preempt everything. Um, Dan, yeah, Dan yeah, yeah. I just say so the the cards are not so we would perceive bingo as a game called out and we'll block these out. For us, they're just these are things that we think might come out. If you do them, ace. If not, and I think um, someone that you, in fact, you sent to us, uh, gun engagement, gunny. So Maslow before blue, and mm. for us, it's about being safe. So we have kids that will send us on teams. These are eleven-year-olds. We've got a game we'd like to play. Okay, cool. You can play it, but you've got to tell us the rules on here, and you've got to lead the session. They're eleven. There's the, the the failing as a as a as a negative is has been downplayed to the point where they'll engage with things um, and not feel they've just got a tick box. It's not a clerical opportunity. The idea is just to search and have a go. Um, we found this a lot in cricket, and I was a bit concerned about playing shots that were square. You know, will the ball bounce in the right place? Are the bowlers proficient enough to pitch it there? Um, is that the and the kids will explore it themselves? And in fact, some of them didn't take those opportunities. They were they were happy just to score wherever um, in order to play. But practitioner wise, that this is where the skill of the coach comes in is to say, so you 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 haven't ticked off um, hitting through the gates. Why was that? Well, the ball never came to that position. Okay. Do you think you could have forced that? What what might have happened if you'd have forced that? Well, I'd have probably got caught. Well, why is that? And then you that opens up more conversation about uh, positioning to begin with, moving before the ball comes in. Can we can we uh, preempt where the ball goes? Can we force the bowler to bowl in certain places where we stand? All this comes out. So rather than being a, a fixed template, it's um, it's quite fluid, um, and it, and it has. Re- we played a. Uh, an under 14, but the last thing we did before COVID, we played an under 14s Aruri, which is an area cup match, quarterfinals, semifinals. The kids ran over to this bingo sheet before they even asked what the score was. They didn't even know if they'd won or lost. They were more interested that they to see if they tried any of the cool stuff. And they came up with the stuff that went on the bingo sheet, not us. And it was their teacher who asked what was the score. So, right. Okay. So, um, so the kids then, um, to use a well-worn phrase, sort of take ownership of some of these things. Um, but I just want to go back and say the in the in the game that you're playing, and um, let us say that they you want them to hit the ball through a certain place, but they don't have that shot, or they haven't had that opportunity to practice it. How do you help them learn that shot? Because you would. Um, so let's let's say if we're taking to a rugby because I'm I, I mean I love my cricket so I could carry on about cricket all all evening but let's let's take a rugby opportunity let us say that you you'd hope that they'd be able to spin pass off their off their left hand 
So uh, if we were watching, say, the Lions over the weekend, uh, we'd seen that Finn Russell had fired out two or three passes off his left hand, very, very fast, very, very flat. And we'd want the players maybe to get something like that. How would you get them to develop that skill? Um, I, I'm sort of thinking you maybe maybe move away from bingo, but uh, is is uh, is there what is the way that you do it? Is what I'm trying to get to. Well, there's so what, one of the most successful ways that we found of late, and it's actually become quite a popular topic point, is that is the active playground and the, this constant opportunity to try things. Um, so uh, obviously with COVID, we had little buckets which we filled with equipment and the students were able to pick that up in the areas they were afforded around the school. And we, we can drop little hints into them, you know, and it, it'd be amazing how these constant opportunities to repeat concepts within the, the games they've created. Um, and then next, within games themselves, you're trying to create either constraining how the defence will work. So it could be uh, the defence could be a yard offside, so maybe you have to play flatter. Or um, you can say to the to the um, the players that they're allowed a little bit more time on the ball. Um, I'd, I'd say specific skills. And again, this is where my, my job isn't to create an elite sportsman. My job is to create engagement. And, you know, I've just got, got lumbered. It's an awful way. My daughter's rugby team, their coach walked out before COVID. He, he had a, other commitments. So I took over under nines. I have never coached anyone under the age of 11. And Ross will testify that probably, you know, we did quite well with the RGC under 16s. I think they were one game away from from uh, from possibly winning their age grade block. This is the hardest thing I've ever done teach nine-year-olds to do anything so but if I, if I can create opportunities and, and 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 manipulate the environment they're in stuff comes out of that so I'm teaching them to tackle you know in an in an open environment stuff comes out of it and it's and it's the it's the skill of the practitioner rather than taking a template and saying I'm going to stand and repeat this drill um because the skill will come out of it but will it be replicable? Will they know when to play that pass? Will they be able to pass it under pressure? Um, you know, I can pass a football and dribble. Put me in a football match, I'm dreadful. You know, mm. so you know I can do those things in isolation. I think Ross is passing as well. But uh, yeah, I think it's important to give these um, things a context, but. If we were to, so, we would only ever really look at that level of detail as we go up the school to sort of our first fifteen type players. But even then, we're still looking at the the outcome rather than the process. And then, if the outcome's not been achieved, that pass is not making the distance in a way that allows the desired result to unfold. Then we can ask, we can question around the process a little bit. And it might be from an S&C point of view that what we call their action capabilities, they can't self-organize in such a way that to make that pass with a spin pass, they just don't have that in their locker. So that could be where we would look at what are the components of that skill from a physical standpoint that a player needs. And then can we explore that again in a, a live representative environment where there will be some chaos and there'll be some opportunities to make that pass um, so that they can use this new movement skill they have acquired to, to maybe make that pass or not and then accepting that's going to take time and it's not going to show a nice linear graph of uh, we isolate that and we rep it and rep it and rep it and it gets better if we put it in chaos it's not going to happen as quick but we can question why it's not happening and we can look at the process a little bit but assume for us from a philosophy point of view if the outcome is being achieved then we're not overly concerned at the level we're operating at as to as to how perfect or how close that technical model that it looks really yeah i'm, I'm talking when i um did a podcast with rob gray on this he certainly said that there are some there are some movements that you need you do need to have some isolation 
to do. There's uh, safety aspects involved and they they need to have some understanding before they, they move to the next stage. Otherwise, you're, you're going to be in some dangerous position. I mean, you don't want kids going around tackling by tripping people up, for example, and uh, you've got to set some ground rules. So uh, given that, how, how do you bring in those, uh, well, we could say the ground rules are constraints. How do you introduce those into your rugby or into the PE lessons? So when we talk about those things like tripping people up, it, we, we could bring that into what we've mentioned, self-regulation. We want the, the kids very early on from year five and year six to get comfortable with level with managing a level of risk themselves. And then as practitioners, it's up to us to make sure that it's globally safe. But if you if we want to use sort of tackling and contact as a as a context to talk around, we're thinking about can we get the students comfortable operating within another person's space in their personal space? Am I comfortable holding on to another human being? Do I understand what happens if I move them this way, move them that way? And we'll do that through lots of um, sort of fun and silly games that look nothing like tackling uh, to to somebody that that wouldn't be attuned to, to seeing that um so kneeling takedowns and tapping each other and you know playing games of power kabaddi um because we want to create uh, back to the maslow a, a psychological safety before we ask them to then go on go into formal tackling um so the only sort of rules if you like are around acceptable behaviors and that goes back into into the co-creation of an enjoyable environment which comes largely from them and then if their behaviors are unacceptable then we can ask some questions around is that the type of environment they want to experience rather than us trying to impose um that on them uh, i'm not sure dan if you want to add anything to that i i, I go back to the um uh the introduction of skill as well. And I think it goes back to meaning, you know, how, how many times do we see the, the four lads plus a prop go down to practice their kicking? They find that repetition meaningful. You know, we have lots of uh, walk, but, um, rebound balls in the gym. They find that meaningful. That's cracking. And they can work away at that. And we can come in and again, this, this level of communication, this motivational interviewing, how to pose questions to elicit, responses you want is all part of the practitioner's handbook so dan cottrell's in there passing his uh, making his scrum half pass off his weak hand and we could we could say oh, you know are you how's it how's it going are you being successful what's the target you're aiming for and you could be saying I'm, I'm not so sure it seems to be fading away is there anyone else in the room who can assist with that you know is it is that representative is that hitting that i don't know that mark on the wall is that right is there anyone else who can step in and assist with this at the moment? So it would never be to say you can't do something because that would, again, would go against from what we want, which is create meaning. You know, my, my kids are bonkers. They'll climb cliff faces. And, you know, as long as it's relatively safe, as far as I believe that it's safe, they can they can explore. Because as soon as I start putting these limitations on it, they'll start to see those limitations in other things as well. So for me, is it, if... If the prop wants to practice his left foot kicking, you know you can go down and spend some time left foot kicking as long as he buys into his roles and responsibilities on the pitch as well. Which I think is very important that you've said that because, um, yeah, it'd be great if he spent time left foot kicking, but you also need to uh, help him understand that he probably needs to spend a little bit of time on uh, working on his uh, neck and upper body and his uh, good body positions as well. So there's going to be conversation. Some of the, the players will buy into this straight away. You, they, they, the, some of the best teams I've ever taken, I've three or four of the boys have immediately bought in and they almost lead it straight from the start. Now there's going to be other times where you, those leadership personalities aren't just there or you're going to have the difficult, difficult player. I mean, you're probably going to say every single one of your players as a saint but I don't think you're going to say that how do you deal with the, somebody who's not buying in um, on the on the whole I think the group self-regulates 
and um, it does take time. We've had students who are who are very good performers and play at a decent level, and what we do to begin with doesn't look representative of what they've had previously. So there is pushback. I think when they've been immersed in the concepts, um, so you, you, the, the lad who comes in who who's a bit uh, uh, stubbier, chunkier than the others, I'm a prop. You're like you know, you're twelve. You have no idea what you're going to turn into. <laughs> Let's develop skill sets. No, no, no. These this is my role. This is what I do. You know, you got you know another ten years before you have to really decide what you do, and then as they start to evolve and, and you can layer responsibilities into this, they start to understand what the approach means. It's not just, you know, uh, harem, scarem. The idea is to create a real um, locker that they can delve into, but also that they are able to make decisions. They're able to go away from the pitch or when the board is down and make decisions and solve problems. Why is this not working? Why every time I get the ball and that guy's in front of me, is it not working? What could I do better? That point, along with the motivational interview, and I think it can't be underestimated. We are an independent school, but I spent lots of time with kids previously and uh, at regional, is you have to spend the time with those, those individuals. You have to question, you have to put the legwork in to help them effectively help themselves become comfortable in that environment um so just i, I just so just to jump in there uh there's two there's two things well there's lots of things inevitably um strikes me first of all there's an enormous amount of patience there because you're you're not saying that you're gonna crack it on day one uh you know where you're going which is important and you're going to get there eventually uh well you hope you're going to get there eventually um now, just thinking back to um, asking those questions, some of the some of the players will be very good at answering the questions. They have a good understanding. They are they're buying into it. Others, um, they're not they're not talkers. They're not reflectors. How do you deal with those players? I'm not, I'm not suggesting this is a, it's the the approach is wrong. I'm just saying there are people listening and saying I like. I want to try this out, but I know that some of my players do not like talking. They don't like talking to their mates, let alone talking to an adult who's asking them another question. I think a lot of that's done relatively surreptitiously. It's, you know, not everything has to be to the group. A lot of it could be you're, you're looking at the set and it can be a question because what you're trying to get from the student or the, or the player is some sort of um, flags that, that they either understand what's going right or wrong uh, and that they are then able to come up with certain language that would indicate that they're willing to to look into it and over time you you can you get better at understanding that language we, we have several students that are very difficult to to engage with um, and you know not to go into any details but really uncommunicative and to the point where you would perceive that they didn't like you, that's it, as a dislike you. But in in reality, that's not the case. And for you to be able to just to chip away, um, I would say it goes back again into engagement and meaning. If they're there in those sessions and committed, that's a massive win anyway, isn't it? So the next part is then how do you then kind of um, put them in together with the rest of the model? You know, how, how, are they purposeful within that thing? If that's all they want to do, if if Dan wants to play open side and just smash everything and go for jackals and that's the end of Dan, that's great. But we like him. What do we do once we turn it over? Or, or could he be better on a kick receipt? We can question around those areas, um, and that's you know the stuff with Stephen Rolnick. That the way you question is is really cool, and, mm. and it has been massively productive. I will just I just add that I will definitely put a link to Stephen's book at the bottom there. And for anyone who's not not come across it, that's um, it's a fantastic book, and he's he supports a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff he talks around it. So definitely worth uh, del- delving into. Ross, you were going to uh, jump in. Um, I think Dan's pretty much covered it, but it's about supporting their autonomy at all times. Um, so it, it puts the if 
to go back to the example, somebody doesn't feel confident speaking out in front of their peers, it puts the onus back on us, on practitioners, to provide those alternative routes for feedback. Uh, so like the bingo board, put your initials here on this this sheet or um, often I'll, in my functional movement stuff that Dan said, I'll put a buffer between myself and the students and I'll ask them to co-coach and I'll ask them to co-design amongst their peers and then I'll maybe just speak to one member of that group of four um, and I'll change that now and again so I'm taking the student out of that environment and just showing them different pictures all the time so it would be massively against our approach to jump all over that behavior and try and force it to emerge it's just like skill constraints for me it's the same behavioral constraints are just things that we put in front of the our students to see what emerges all the time and if it doesn't we put something else in front uh, but it really puts the onus on us to solve that problem not to 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 force the issue and it strikes me that uh, probably you're asking questions where you don't necessarily know what the answer is you're not asking questions for the sake of uh, i'm waiting for you to say this uh, I'm actually just interested to see where you're going to go with it. But we'll come, we may come back to that. There's right at the start, I think Dan said, uh, we like to front load. And I wanted to know what that meant. I suppose. And it, well, the context of it. it. I've got bad knees. That's where it starts. And I, uh, I insist on trying to continue to play rugby. So we take the longest route up from the playing fields, which are quite away from school. So school is up on a hill and the playing field's at the bottom. Mm. So the long walk up is a lot of reflection. And I didn't realise until now how little I actively reflected on sessions. Um, and when there's four or five of you going up from a from a, um, a session or a lesson, you'd be amazed at what you can get out of it. And then that feeds loops. It's an active loop. Just go straight back into the next session. It could be an individual. It could be we put this concept in that we're all going to try absolutely died, you know, fell on its face. And someone says, well, I tried it this way and I just tweaked it. And you, again, it's a constant thinking. And I think as coaches, we, we might want to have an ideal session. I might want to get Ross to give me this perfect S and C program. that's going to turn me into whatever, or I'm going to follow these ex- explicit things. Everything is, is is individual dependent. You know what works in one club or one school, social, economic, uh, cultural background may not work in another. So it's really important that we're constantly tweaking what will work for us. Um, and uh, you know, athletics and cricket is a point, point in case where we tried something this year with athletics to begin with, not so successful, but by the end we dovetailed it and, and something really cool came out of it. So that ability to constantly reflect allows us to front load and come up with the concepts that will make the sessions work best. Yeah. Just to be summarized as well, front load means um, to have a concept in mind that, that we've mainly come up with from those long walks up, but then to let it really play out. So we don't necessarily, we wouldn't use a lesson plan. We'd have a concept and then we'd really try and get out of the way as much as possible as practitioners and let the behaviours unfold. And what that affords us is the time to see those teachable moments. If I'm in the middle leading every play, coaching every second, then I can't observe. And, and that's what that's where we can add the most value is by observing behaviours and then commenting and questioning those behaviours. Um, so front-loading just simply just means to tee up the concept and, and then let it play out and then reflect really in detail with a lot of uh, openness and meaning afterwards. So I, we were doing, uh, so, so daughter's year group should have done contact last year, so introducing this year. We did some games and really what I was trying to look at was uh, bring the player to ground properly and, and uh, be able to play from there. But actually what came out of it was intercepts the kids were starting to read that the kid, the people weren't going to ground as easily and they were looking to offload the ball, which is, you know, why why go to ground when we can offload? Um, and 
for me, I could have said, no, 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 no. We want a tackle to occur here. And we could have said, stop. What I want, and I, we could have limited this concept. But actually, what came out of it was kids, like one of them, he's a very good footballer, but you could see him waiting for one person to get the ball and then reading when the pass was going to come and just accelerating through. So you, you, you just play with what the idea of the session was. And um, you have that front-loaded concept. And what comes out of it may be something different. But it's, it's still it's still going to be uh, applicable 99% of the time. And if it wasn't, that's when you have that discussion on the way up to say, well, I thought this would emerge and it didn't come out and I'm not quite sure why. Well, I did this and I, I tweaked this area and that's the, that, that helped this happen. Oh, okay. So, I, I, yeah, just... I think, you know, like I say, 20 years of teaching, I've, I've lesson plans, you know, uh, lesson one, do this, lesson two, do this, it's eight weeks. And it's it is hard to stand back and be, be quiet and see what the kids come up with and how they approach things. But what you'll find over the years is the kids start to really thrive in that. To see 11-year-olds um, self-organising cricket games to, to self-coach and assist each other, you know, that's fantastic. We're not redundant because without us, the environment isn't created and, and the questions aren't, you know, teased out. Um, so, yeah, I think people saying that coaches make themselves redundant, that's that's not the case. Coaches, mm. coaches make better practitioners out of the people they're playing. So I think I'd say just an emphasis is that yeah, you stick with your concept. This has been fantastic. Loss, you're obviously very excited by this and uh, you've enjoyed it, but also you've, people are beginning to recognise it. So um, I said at the start, you're award winners and you're hopefully going to get another award coming up. So just tell us about the two awards. So uh, Ross, you can tell me about the one you've won and Dan, you can tell about the one that you, uh, you're you in. Yeah, so the one we've got is the... Uh... Independent Schools Association Award for Outstanding Sports Provision in the Small School category, um, which we were, you know, elated about because our application was, you know, we didn't hold back. It was so open that it all probably came across as bizarre almost. But it, it's it's what we did on paper, and and for us to be recognised for being so open and and honest with our approach. Um, I think it was just that affirmation that we needed to kick on when we got back into face-to-face uh, teaching. So, you know, massively proud of our team for that one and, and really, really pleased. And Dan, the one that you are, uh, you're being nominated for? Yeah, we, it was the Innovation Award for the independent schools. Um, obviously, in lockdown people went to different approaches with continuing with physical education. So ours was um, kind of developed from the first one. We, we tried to create opportunities and environments where the kids could engage with a, a um, within, with their environments at home and then share with us and their, their peers uh, via Flipgrid what they've done. Um, and then we made it into a house event where uh, students could post to receive points depending they were our prizes depending on you know innovative use of their environment uh, the wackiest places uh, they're also encouraged to to lots of support online um yeah it, it, the idea was to to try and create as much engagement physically as we could without us being directly involved and um, hundreds of hours of video and thousands of comments um and then right at the end, we came up with Backyard Games, which was uh, some chalk and a tennis ball and a, a poem, which we sent out in a bag to every kid in Key Stage 3 and below. And the idea was for them to create backyard games using chalk and a tennis ball. Again, video it and send it in to us. We sent a secret mission via an email to their parents to say, you you know if you accept it to teach a game that you did when you were a kid so re-engaging with these kind of wacky simple simple low low rent games that probably uh, were where most of us got our skills from um 
Kirby even came up, which was quite interesting. So um, it rises from the phoenix. So yeah, but if we're, to be to be nominated and shortlisted for a school our size in the middle of nowhere is, is pretty cool. Well, that's fantastic, and I think um, that's what it says is that you're trying things, you're very open about it, um, you're willing to accept that things haven't always gone right, but you've you worked hard to get it to go right, and the engagement from the kids is fantastic, and the awards are, are just part of what makes it so exciting. So... Um, if people want to sort of see you a bit more in action, they got to go and visit you on Twitter. Is that right? To see uh, some of the videos you've been posting. Yeah, pretty prolific on Twitter. So Ross and I, and then we're also we'll be running a couple of remos again. Uh, one looking at w- what have we all learned over lockdown, and another one looking at uh, female specific uh, coaching. Uh, both of those will be in the next kind of two months. So. Keep an eye right, on. and uh, where where do we find out about these things? Twitter, <laughs> uh, Twitter. So yeah. the best best place to go to is. I mean, I'll put the link at the bottom as well. I think I'm at Mr. Lysett PE, and you're at yeah. Curriculum underscore I'm coach. Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, I'll put the links on the on the bottom. Uh, I I did have a list of questions. I don't think I even started to look at them. Uh, it's been fascinating for me, and there's lots more we could delve into. Uh, we'll have to say that for part two. So, uh, Dan and Ross, thank you very much uh, for your time and um, the excitement you're generating around the things that you're doing. Thanks, Dan. Um, and thank you, everyone, for listening. This is a Rugby Coach Weekly podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast, go over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the podcast button to find out more about this podcast and links uh, to some of the things we've been talking about and all the other podcasts are out there. So thank you very much for listening and we will speak to you all very soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to rugbycoachweekly.net and click on the blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.